And this is Romance. A podcast about romance novels. About wide open spaces. Uh, About orphans. About librarians. About letters. About personal ads. About rolling in the hay. About orphans tutoring you in the art of love. (laughs) But mostly that person. Romance novels and ourselves. This week, we are raising a glass. Final serving of iced wine. Thank with Christ. <laughs> with Morning Comes Softly by Debbie Macomer. Morning does come softly. You mm. hear that gentle rattle? It's not just ice cubes, it's the bones of this series. <laughs> Rattling together in their live and yet womanly form. <laughs> Yet womanly. It's just live. It's saying yet womanly. We all know you're a pervert. It's mostly just emaciated. Stop saying live. She's not athletic. She doesn't do athlete stuff. She rides horses. I guess. I assume we're talking about our heroine. I mean, like mostly in general. But also this heroine this in particular. So why did we choose Morning Comes Softly? We chose it entirely on the title. Yeah. Debbie McComer has some amazing titles and it was really hard for us, but I'm responsible. I pulled the trigger on Morning Comes Softly. It's too bad that it isn't spelled with a U, but I feel like <laughs> Debbie's just a little too classy for that. Also, Morning it- arrives softly. <laughs> <laughs> morning had a petite more. I will say uh, morning has it better than our heroine, who I'm pretty sure doesn't come at all. <sighs> Snap! <laughs> Debbie's been in the game for a long time, not unlike Daniel Steele and Johanna Lindsay. She's been writing forever. She has a ton of novels, very successful. Her son wrote a very nice piece for her Mother's Day last year about being the son of a romance novelist. I had never read a Debbie Maycomer and I felt like that was kind of a glaring emptiness in Mm -hmm. my catalog. So I was glad that Ice Wines gave us the opportunity for me to write that blank space but now I don't ever need to come back to that. Yeah, I would like someone to tell me, like, what's Debbie Maycomber's deal? Like, I didn't realize this, but this book does talk about faith, like, yep. in the, all of the advertising. And the other, like, books that they advertise are Mrs. Miracle, The Trouble with Angels, and Angels Everywhere. We'll let that school bus go by. When Letty Madden asks Sean Murphy to help her find her missing brother, mm. he makes her a very indecent proposal. I love indecent proposals. He's like, yeah, if you fuck me, I'll find your brother. <laughs> I'm so good at it, but also I don't know how to talk to women and have consensual sex. Maybe if you blow me. It helps me find your brother. And my <laughs> dick functions as a compass. So <laughs> give that a little, like, <laughs> you got to give it a little hummer. Uh, my penis is a brother compass. <laughs> <laughs> Only works when a your brother is a magnetic pole. <laughs> Turn around. Kane Bright McClellan eyes. knew that just seeing Lynette Collins from afar could never be enough. Oh my God. Oh, the title is so 
dude. That's like a threat now. That's another thing. Like all of her books have a mystery or a murder to solve. And so like, you're right. Is it a romance or threat? Morning comes softly. (laughs) Romance or threat? Oh my God. I wish we'd read One Night. Morning DJ Carrie Jameson is skyrocketing in the ratings and her quick wit has won her the admiration of everyone at K-U-E-T-E radio. Amazing. Radio. Except Kyle Harris. A serious no-frills newscaster. Kyle Harris, you're about to get some, son. That would have been a good one. All right, let's read The Morning Comes Softly. Brief. Okay. That is the book we're technically talking about today. Oh, this is the first time we've ever read the back. It could be the mistake of a lifetime, but Mary Warner may be exactly what Travis Thompson and his broken family need. With 60 million books in print, Debbie McComer is a New York Times bestselling author who believes in angels, the power of love, and Christmas. Wait, shit. That was like the entire summary. It was a sentence, this broken family. It's the blurb. Yeah, we'll read the whole back. She loves Christmas. A talented writer and public speaker, Debbie lives with her husband in Port Orchard, Washington in winters in Fort Pierce, Florida. She loves a good port fort. (laughs) Port to fort. She's a bluebird. She looks so nice. She is very nice. Her son had nothing but glowing things to say about being raised by a romance novel. She smells like cinnamon. Or vanilla. Yeah. All right, here we go. A shy Louisiana librarian, Mary Warner fears she'll always be alone, so she answers a personals ad from a rancher in Montana. Never before has she done anything so reckless, casting the only life she knows aside to travel to a strange place and marry a man she's never met. But something about this man calls to her. She knows this may be her very last chance at happiness. Tragedy made Travis Thompson. That's hard to say. Tragedy made Travis Thompson. The guardian of three orphan children. His two nephews and a niece. It doesn't say that here, but I want to point that out. He didn't just take them in out of the goodness of his heart. He's actually blood relations. Mm -hmm. And determination leads him to do whatever it takes to keep the kids out of foster homes. When he decides to take a long shot on a personals ad, the results are surprising. And before he knows it, he has agreed to marry a mysterious Southern woman sight unseen. The personals ad is motivated by the fact that his middle school English teacher tells him he doesn't need a housekeeper. He needs a wife. Let Uh, that sit for a sec. You don't need a housekeeper. You don't need to hire a person for the job. You need to marry someone who will do it for free and not complain. Here's the first line. It isn't a housekeeper you need, Mr. Thompson. It's a wife. LOL. A wife? The word went through Travis like a bullet and he soared to his feet. He slammed his Stetson on his head, shoving it down so far it shattered the starkly etched planes of his jaw and cheekbones. He paled beneath the weathered, sun-beaten tan. That is a good opener. That is a good opener. It really tells you everything. There's nothing else you need to know. He's so flabbergasted by the idea of a wife that he jumps up and puts, puts his, his hat, hat back on, his on. Head. Okay, back to the back of the book. It could be the mistake of a lifetime, but Mary Warner may be exactly what this broken family needs. And with a little faith, a little trust, and a lot of love, two lonely hearts might just discover the true meaning of miracles. Here's the thing. That's the beginning of a country song. Can I see the back of that? We got this book at the public library and we shared it. We did. It's like little faith, little trust, and a lot of love. Two lonely hearts might just discover the true meaning of miracles. Little faith, little love. Oh my God. It's like, what's his name? Alan Jackson. Alan Jackson. Little bitty hat, (laughs) little bitty car, little bitty tulips, little bitty dog. What's the word? Little bitty sidewalk, little bitty grass. 
little bit of chicken fried cold beer on a- Who sings that song? An asshole. My mom used to be like, this song's about me. And I would point out that she never fried chicken. And she would say, it's about chicken fried steak. And I was like, no, it's not. Little bit of chicken fried. You know, I like my chicken fried. Whereas, like, I give respect for the ones that died. Yeah, he gives respect for the ones that died. <laughs> Pour out a little bit of fried chicken for, for the, the ones, ones that died. Or a chicken fried steak if you're my mom. For the ones. I get it. I get it. It's, I, about, it's me. about me. It's you a Georgia pine. Georgia pine. Georgia doesn't have pines. Yeah, it does. The pine curtain. Okay. Conifers grow in the south? Oh, yeah. Big time. What? There's a whole Cedars. part of the world called the pine curtain. Oh, that sounds strange. Also that sounds, sounds like- strange and I refuse to accept <laughs> it. Kind of sounds like the boreal forest in Russia, if you know what I mean, when you're talking about curtains. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> you're so... I know, Isabel. <laughs> you're so proud of it. You know what else has curtains? Meat curtains. What the hell? You had two glasses of Sauvignon Blanc. You're going to laugh to yourself to death over curtain jokes. Oh my God, there's so many Do you remember the part in Amelia Bedelia where she's told to draw the curtains and then she takes out a sketch pad and she actually draws the curtains? That's a really obscure one. Thank you. <laughs> is Amelia Bedelia obscure? I mean, that part where she's like, draw the curtains. Like, that's really specific. She dusts the furniture mm-hmm. by putting powder all over it. It's really good. I love Amelia Bedelia. She's such an idiot. <laughs> Amelia so Bedelia, you dumb bitch. What are you doing now? <laughs> Amelia! <laughs> you scamp. You didn't know that it was going to be like You know what else? I was the man behind one. Oh my god. That's enough. Interestingly, this book does talk about curtains quite often. Quite a bit. Which is like, you know, one of my curtains in my home is a shower curtain because I don't want to invest in real curtains and the shower curtain gets the job done. And Oh, like you use a shower curtain as a window curtain. I do because my shower doesn't need a curtain because it has glass doors. Yeah. I will be honest. I don't like it when that happens. Yeah. When people use shower curtains as other curtains. It's because like it's lovely. I think I can tell. But I can't think of the window in your house with a shower curtain as a curtain because it's so nice yeah yeah that doesn't happen in this book no although here's the thing i will say about this book here we go it takes place in montana mm-hmm. which i am fairly intimate with my sister and brother-in-law live there and are raising their children there also you read montana sky I by did, Nora so roberts I'm, so a, you're i'm basically an expert in montana having never lived there but the place that they're doing their cattle ranching is just outside of billings so that seems right there's a lot of cattle there is there a place in montana where there's not a lot of cattle in the mountains it's hard to raise cattle on sheer cliff so if you're going to have cattle ranching, it has to be east of the Rockies. Oh, okay. Or I guess you could do it in the Bitterroot Valley, but like there's not a ton of space there. So you'd already be pretty established. And it doesn't seem to me that our hero, Travis Thompson, is particularly established. Okay. okay. But like that's one of the things that was interesting to me. Like he writes her this letter and he's like, if you expect me to be a big time rancher with millions of money and you're just marrying me for my ranching money, guess again, sister. I'm living in a tar paper shack with three children I can barely keep in shoes. Yeah. And I was like fascinating that that is what you would go for Travis like that this is some sort of like fleecing scheme for you your know cattle what? money. I do believe that ranchers and farmers have this illusion that people think they're millionaires all the time. Yes, that felt very true. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. that cord like 
felt particularly true. As someone who's grew up in a rural area and now lives in an urban area, I would like to assure everyone in a rural area, no one thinks you have any money. Nobody thinks that. In fact, they know how poor you are. Yeah, we see it a lot because you guys are getting the bailouts. Yeah, they feel so bad for you whenever they find out you're from a rural area. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's a little patronizing. It's a lot patronizing, <laughs> but it doesn't come from a place of like, oh, are you a millionaire? You got so much money invested in your living meats. Yeah. <laughs> Literally no one thinks you have any money, let alone someone from Louisiana. Yeah, rural Louisiana. God, there's so much about this book and its details. I do details. like that this book goes out of its way to make a distinction between like a Southerner and like a Westerner. Yeah, I think that's actually a really cogent kind of difference. Because I know you coastal elites like to conflate all those different flyover states. It's true as a person who's never lived on either coast and as a neither coast elite I would like to conflate all of the flyover states and cannot I cannot I am too intimately familiar yeah they're very very different and like southern hospitality comes in and like southern niceness which is different than western niceness yeah but they both have a version of it yeah which was fascinating it was fascinating to watch how it would play out too in terms of like vulnerabilities that it plays on but also yeah. like how it also matters asks those vulnerabilities. Do you consider Montana part of the Midwest? No, of course not. What do you consider it? It's the West. It could even be considered part of the Northern Plains, which is parts of Minnesota and the Dakotas specifically. But no, Montana is in no way the Midwest. I think it's more like... It's the Upper West. When I think about it culturally, I think about a combination of the Southwest and the Midwest. But I don't associate it with the West Coast. No, you can't associate it with the West Coast, although a lot of people from California live there now and own mega mansions. Montana, like, it's just so big. It takes you 10 hours to drive east to west, and it'll take you nine hours to drive north north to south like we're talking about a huge massive piece of land yeah but everyone if you're thinking about montana you might actually be thinking of wyoming or north dakota or south dakota Mm -hmm. and like culturally speaking it's more correct to think of wyoming or south or north dakota we just without oil in terms of the dakotas and with wyoming there are slightly more people in montana yeah but yeah it's not midwestern friendly it's certainly not southern it's foods are not those things it's rigorously libertarian is how i would describe it Yeah, they like don't have a whole lot of speed limits or taxes. Zero of both. It's like 80 and they won't get you until 105. And there's no sales tax. There's no property tax and there's no income tax. Yeah. I don't know how they have a tax system in Montana. They just have oil money. Some of it and cattle money. And cattle money. And public lands. Lots of public lands. I've been to Montana. It's nice. Big sky country. Big sky country true you know whenever I went up there with my dad we would always go up through Colorado and like hit Wyoming and North Dakota and South Dakota along the way and so like whenever I think about Montana it's hard for me to think of something specific to I think Montana besides the like being amazed that there was no sales tax yep that's on nice. necessities yep and then how fast my dad drove so fast and like <laughs> that's the other thing like you'll see a lot of Canadians in Montana I think that makes it different than other states the Albertans come down and like like buy their milk and their gas and then drive recklessly fast back to Alberta because there are no speed limits and there are speed limits in Canada I assume and the Ontarioans Brandon's aunt who I met this past weekend she lives in Billings and she says it's like Lawrence Kansas was in the 80s 
fascinating. Isn't that an interesting read? It's like actually a pretty cogent read. Yeah, doesn't that make so much sense? Yeah, of billing specifically. Yeah. Like Missoula's different and like that's part of it too where it's like Montana's so big and like the interest groups that are there are so different. So you like have crunchy, very liberal, like people who are trying to save specific species yeah. who live there and then you have cattle ranchers who like shoot all the wolves which I want to get to in this book. Yeah. And then you've got people who live there for like a hundred years. You also have a very vibrant indigenous community in Montana that's like doing a lot of really interesting work. Yeah. Also that book Missoula, which I think by John Krakauer, the college football rape one. Yeah. Yeah. I think they chose Missoula as their case study because they're like, it's not even a famously good football program. No, it's not. But (laughs) But it's treated as such. Yeah. Yeah. The Grizz, Go Grizz is such a big deal. God, that book is so good. I listened to it on Audible. It's terrifying. It's a very scary book, but literally could have been written in any college town about any college town. Mm-hmm. probably anyways Montana is like a weird space of like fascination and romance in general although are there like any recent romances that take place in Montana like contemporary romances that oh take for place sure in Montana? most of the cowboy romances take place in one of two places Texas or Montana why Texas why Montana I think like they give you very different cowboys I've pondered Texas for a long time mm-hmm. and in depth and I've talked about it with my family and I think Texas is truly such a foreign country but in a way that doesn't feel exotic like New Orleans feels like it's in a different country mm-hmm. but it feels exotic mm-hmm. and exciting and exhilarating whereas mm-hmm. Texas feels like a different country in all the most mundane ways possible like someone has a different form of nationalism than you mm-hmm. David Sedaris wrote in Me Talk Pretty one day one of the most shocking things for him about living abroad was that all countries had slogans and none of them were USA number one <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though in Texas is so like I used to jokingly tell people who would ask me what I was I would be like oh I was raised a Texan American because they want to know what kind of white European I am and I don't really know and I thought it was funny but it's it's also really true super true only state that's allowed to fly the state flag of the same height as the national flag yeah because they would refuse to do it any other way like they say the pledge of allegiance to the Texas flag every morning wow they you know they just like Texas forever people watch Friday Night lights yeah. and they're like no oh, texas forever it's like no no Texas forever. Yeah, like I'll never understand that. But what I mean, like why I think the romance industry is interested in the two very different types of cowboys, one of community versus one of isolation. And I think like oh, yeah. Texas trades on an idea that's like Southern adjacent. Southern adjacent, but I, I love that idea of like community. All the ranches know each other, like they're intermarried. It's almost like blue blood if you're from Texas kind yes, of Yes, exactly. Move. And in Montana, it's like you are alone. Yeah. And you'll go to towns so you know everybody in town because there are 10 people in town, but you don't rely on them. It's the difference between like a big toothy grin and a firm flat line. Yes. Those are the two kinds of cowboys you can have. Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly (laughs) it. And it's kind of like, which gets your gidget Googling? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which uh, kicks your horse into a canter as a twer. As a twer. Yeah, so uh, for Debbie, it's the flat line. It's the firm, flat line. The high cheekbones. Oh my God, he has a waitress in another town who he makes love to once a week. With robotic regularity. But he wants to introduce her to the ways that loving can make a woman feel. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
Christ. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So we talked about the plot already. We sure did. I want to talk about our hero because I feel like we're there. Travis Thompson. Travis Thompson. High planes, high cheekbones. Not high a millionaire. In. Quit thinking he's a millionaire. He wears old flannel and lives in a tar paper shack and has three dead cars in his yard, which is the most <laughs> Montana thing ever. And I was like, good for you, Debbie. Like, Ooh. tell it like it is. She really is. She really painted a bleak picture. Yeah. She did not dress this up as anything but like what most bachelor ranchers are like. Living paycheck to paycheck too. Living paycheck to paycheck, pretty desperate. Also the idea of like going to town to have sex with your steady is like a thing. Yep. (laughs) One terrible horse. One terrible horse, a bunch of cattle, a wolf that's gone rabid and the feds can't do anything about it. And his brother and his sister-in-law who he cares about very deeply die in this terrible accident and he feels like they were run off the road and murdered and then he's left with because his brother is too good of a driver even when he's had two he had two beers which two beers is too many to drive that's been a really interesting thing about reading these books from the 90s there's this duality that's very anti-drinking like a really strong anti-alcohol consumption stance that is paired with like a really liberal understanding of drunk driving that is baffling it's certainly before a mother against drunk driving. Yeah. It's before that push. It's before even seatbelts were mandated federally. None of the kids are in car seats, even though the youngest one should be. Yeah. Watching those mores evolve, because it's clear that like Debbie, as the narrator, wants to tell you that the brother's a good enough driver after two beers and he would never have more. He'd never endanger his wife. Yeah. And like that seems like a comment about like what is a safe limit in a limitless world at this point. Yeah. The idea that, like, obviously we drink on this show. We sure do. But neither of us drive afterward. Like, I won't drive after one drink. Mm -mm. But I drink a lot more than two beers is the other thing. It's just such a different world. It is such a different world. In 1993, is this the oldest book we've read? It is. It is. That makes a lot of sense, though, actually. All right. Are you ready for some cultural context? Please lay it on me. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I can't wait. Oh my God. I'm so excited. 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 Best picture is Unforgiven. Nice. Oh my God. Eastwood. Who also won Best Director that year? Let's see. Yes. Yes. Marissa Tomei won Best Supporting Actress for My Cousin Vinny. Fab. Al Pacino won Best Actor for Scent of a Woman. Whoa. Scent of a Woman. Woman. Whoa. Wow. I think what you mean to say is, whoa. (laughs) Terrible Al Pacino impression. I knew who you were talking about. Emma Thompson won Best Actress for Howard's End. Oh, wow. Gene Hackman got Best Supporting Actor for Unforgiven. Aladdin won Best Music Score. It is a really good score. Let's see if anything else. Oh, Neil Jordan won Best Original Screenplay for The Crying Game. Wow. Surprise, she has a penis. Yeah. A Whole New World obviously won Best Original Song. Duh. Let's be real. A River Runs Through It won Best Cinematography. The mm. Last of the Mohicans won Best Sound Mixing. Oh, te- first of all, Last of the Mohicans was robbed at this particular academy. Yeah, Last of the Mohicans won like a bunch of technicals. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't want to give two TV writers all the props for what a good movie that is. Death Becomes Her won <gasps> Best Visual Effects. Yes, super duper deserved. Bram Stoker's Dracula won Best Costume Design. This is such an interesting year for movies. I 
love is. Bram Stoker's Dracula. And time has held that this is actually, even with Keanu Reeves' terrible accent, I mean, it's pure camp brilliance. I can't believe there camp weren't brilliance. more Bram Stoker's Dracula references at the Met Gala. I fucking agree. Like, Gary Oldman in all of his crazy disguises is amazing. Like, there's a scene where he's, like, licking his fingernails that are a foot long. <laughs> it's like, nothing about that isn't just brilliant. Gary Oldman, fully committed. <laughs> Poor man's Daniel Day-Lewis. So is Al Pacino. He's fully committed all the time. Gene yeah. Hackman is pretty much, yeah. yeah. It is like a lot of ham sandwiches one. <laughs> Death Becomes Her is a big old ham sandwich. Oh, so good, though. I God. love that movie. Okay, let's see the Grammys. I want to say that it's going to be Brian Adams up there. That's what it feels like to me. Eric Clapton unplugged. Whoa. Tears in Heaven. Nice. Sorry. Peter Gabriel. Whoa, what Peter Gabriel? Best music video. <laughs> oh, music videos. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Band was inducted into the Hall of Fame. That's good. Tears in Heaven won Best Record. It's a lot of Lifetime Achievement Awards. What You Can Do to Avoid AIDS won Best Spoken Word Album, Magic Johnson. I Still Believe in You won Best Country Song by Vince Gill and John Barlow Jarvis. I actually don't know that one. I don't either. Beauty and the Beast. End of the Road. Mm. So now we've come, come to the end of Beauty and the Beast won Best Duet Pop Performance. Taylor's oldest time. Constant Craving by Katie Lang won Female Mm. Pop Vocal Performance. It's a good one. Constant Craving. Let's see. A lot of tears in heaven took it. People felt really bad that Eric Clapton's son died. I forgot the part where he was partially responsible. Achtung, baby! By U2 won Best Rock Album. Wow. Forgot like how specific the Grammy Awards are. They're very specific. Best album notes went to Queen of Soul, the Atlantic recordings. Here's the thing. Album notes. So good. I still believe in you on everything for country. Ew. We're I don't to even know that, that song. Because that feels like it's really informing this text. I know. It is not a song that I can recall. Me neither. But again, I haven't listened to country in a really long time. And I stopped listening to country after someone introduced me to the game called Country Bingo, where it's like, if you hear Red Dirt Road, Dog, Woman Leaving, you know, yeah, then you get bingo. And if you get bingo in five songs, then it's over. Where were we? Let's talk about the hero. Travis Thompson. Travis Thompson. Dead brother. Was in the Marines. Deadbeat brother. Dead brother, not deadbeat. He's the deadbeat brother. Yeah, he's the deadbeat brother. Travis Thompson, our hero. Yes. Bad relationship with his parents. Yeah. You know, that's not a deal breaker for me. I think if any adult man doesn't have a semi-tense relationship with his father, they're not doing it right. Yeah. Something's wrong. They haven't like looked at toxic masculinity enough. If I went on a date with a guy and he's like, my dad's awesome. He's my best friend. I'd be like, oh Mm, shit. Swipe left. Ooh. You choke and cry during sex. (laughs) Simultaneously. (laughs) Say you're proud of me, dad. There's a line in this book in Travis's internality where he's like, she was making beef gravy. One of his favorites. Yep. I'd never heard of beef gravy and I wish I'd never looked into it. <laughs> because it sounds like delicious sausage gravy, but made with no hamburger gravy. They hamburger straight up call gravy. it hamburger gravy. They this. sure do. It's like hamburger helper, but gravy. No, it's not. It's just gravy with hamburger meat in it <laughs> and sometimes onions. Cool. I love onions. And it's served over rice. 
or mashed potatoes. I think mashed potatoes would be the choice there. Y'all, I eat poor people food most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I have not been compelled to prepare hamburger gravy yet. I don't feel <laughs> compelled now. So like, um, Hamburger gravy. One of his favorites. Hamburger gravy. Yeah, he's excited to see she's making hamburger gravy. She's from Louisiana, so I believe she's a good cook. But hamburger gravy is not a very compelling argument. And that's kind of where he's at psychologically. Like, he is a bad father. Like, a social worker regularly comes to his house, magically stops showing up after he's married. Like, she doesn't even come to see his progress. They're only married for six weeks in the book, so, like, I guess she gave it, like, the old college try of, like, let's see where this marriage goes. Yeah, yeah. But a social worker was coming to his house regularly and was Mm -hmm. like, kids can't live like this. And, like, that's right. And the fact that, like, his internality villainizes her as fine and like seems right for the book but the fact that the book also villainizes this social worker who's doing her level best to keep the kids together to keep yeah. them with Travis but I've also never heard of a social worker coming to a house and being like a little girl said she had macaroni and cheese three nights this week yeah and she's like Travis you gotta do better but he's genuinely threatened with losing the kids because he makes macaroni and cheese too much no I know like that's no, not that's, not, that's not how it works yeah Brandon spent a whole year eating hot dogs only yeah Because he was, I guess, such a terror about eating all other foods. And his mom became fearful he would starve himself to death (laughs) if he wasn't fed hot dogs. Yeah, you get kids like that. For a year. So he's going to die when he's 40. I'd be sad to see Brandon go like that. He made his bed when he was five. He made his bed when he was five. Yeah, I had a friend in high school whose younger brother did the exact same thing. The two foods that he would eat were hot dogs and bread, but specifically like hot dog buns, but like white bread. So but like, like sandwich bread? But it had to be white bread. Like there was mm-hmm. like Wonder Bread. I've got a name for that. It's called a sad ass sandwich. <laughs> and it was what I would inevitably eat. I ate into adulthood when I went to visit my parents when they were just like overcooking for me. <laughs> Three things my parents will have are hot dogs, sandwich bread, Ketchup and mustard. Sometimes you just gotta have yourself a sad ass sandwich. Right, that's right. What are you gonna do, you know? So, in some ways, like this book, I think felt super true and like sort of like a sympathetic look at like how hard it is to make ends meet, but also like when something's thrown at you, like three children aged 12 to five. Yeah. And like you've never dealt with any of that before. And like learning to be a dad with like the struggle of the ranch and also being a selfish jerk. This book could have very easily called Travis White Trash. Yeah, it was skirting that line. It never did, though. Mm -hmm. However, the book did not hold back on calling our heroine an old maid. And like a fucking spinster. Yeah. And I'm like, she's younger than Travis. Yeah. He's also unmarried. Why is an unmarried cowboy at 34? With three rusted cars in his front yard. Exactly. And like a refrigerator that doesn't work and like fucking nails in the floor that are coming up from the plywood. Like we're talking about rooms that haven't even been painted. When I say tar paper shack, that's how it's referred to. That's the siding on the house is tar paper. But heaven forbid our heroine be of 31 years old and have short legs. Oh God, when she gets off the plane and he's like, the, the only thing are. I asked for was long legs. And she ain't got them. And I hate, it breaks my heart. She mails him a photo and at one point she says, I wrote on the back that it was a flattering picture. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, God. And she brings so much to the table. She has a degree. She is a librarian. She's an excellent cook. She's also an excellent expert seamstress. Yeah, I mean she has like all of the bells and whistles of a good homemaker. She sure does. Travis has none of the bells and whistles of a good provider. Nope. 
or a good husband, like a good man. But he's never called an insulting name nope. besides like stubborn. But even that is said in the exact tone that you said it, which is like loving exasperation. My husband may be a card carrying male chauvinist, but she couldn't <laughs> help but think it was a little bit funny. Who is sexy even? I was yeah. like fuck you yeah so let's talk about our heroine mary mary her mother has passed away and so has her brother mm-hmm. so she's an orphan herself in the world she still lives in her same hometown her best friend is married with a couple kids and mary's working at the library one night when a couple high school girls who work for her with their whole lives ahead of them jokingly say she should respond to a personals ad in the billings newspaper also amazing that a rural louisiana town gets the billings gazette also she spends a lot of time denigrating these two teens who are dressed like 90s punks. Yeah! Lace trimmed leggings and they have that Chelsea girl haircuts. And velvet chokers. Yeah. I was like wow I guess Debbie doesn't like punks. Yeah no kidding. Cool. And then she answers the personal ad not unlike if you like pina coladas. If you like pina coladas and not a millionaire. (laughs) That's muddy gentry rule Montana. That's not what you're getting into. I'm not one of those guys with Buddy pull it up in his Stetson hat. It's not true. Whatever Quit making you those heard. Assumptions. I don't know why you think that. Like. Everybody keeps coming up to me asking me what it's like to have a private jet, <laughs> jacuzzi bathtub. I'm like, I don't even have indoor plumbing. That's not my lifestyle. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> So weird. So uh, insistent. They would be like, are you Warren Buffett? And then you're like, no, I'm not Warren Buffett. They'll be like, oh, so you're okay. very poor. Yeah. You don't pay taxes because you can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one thinks you're wealthy, Travis. God, Travis. Back in lie. So they send these letters back and forth. And like, she discloses that her brother died violently. And he's like, huh, mine did too. Like, let's commiserate over like the deep well of grief. There's like a really nice exchange about like the complications of grief. Yeah. And then she fucking buys her ticket and then once she gets there he's disappointed they aren't sure if it's gonna work and at one point they're like making out in bed because they're like just gonna try it and she's like why'd you even want me here and he's like because you've got a dead brother too because yeah. you ain't got long legs which is what i really wanted but you got a dead brother you so got short like- <laughs> what you're lacking in leg you make up for a dead sibling so you know what i'm going through <laughs> make fun of this he's like you and me sister yeah but like that's the thing like Travis can only access his emotions when he's violently rageful or when he's in bed yeah and he uses the word Randy and she's like what does that mean I'm like you're a fucking librarian Mary you know what that means you're a very learned woman you've read a lot of books that's what she says she's like people think I don't know the ways of love but I've read plenty of books read lots of books this book would not be a good text to try and understand the mysteries of love through. No. Because it really cuts out before any penetration. Oh, you're talking about like the mysteries of physical love. Yes, physical love. I don't think it's a good It also does like, that great mm-hmm. thing where it's like, we're not making love. This is pure sex. sex. Which is something that's come up a lot in our ice wines. It really like, has. Speaks to that dichotomy that like exists throughout these books that's like, are you a mistress or a wife? Because wives can't enjoy it. Is this making love or is this sex? sex? And that's how they say it. It's like, we're already sweating. I'm like, what the 
fuck, man? Yeah. Like, it's like this like great divide between inhabiting your physical being as like enjoying it. Yeah. Mistress. Sex. Yeah. Versus making love wifely duties. Yeah. There's this whole other relationship in this book between Tilly and Logan. Mm-hmm. And Logan is a divorcee. And the doctor's son. And Tilly is new gal in town who's been done wrong. But their relationship is described as an affair. It is. Even though neither of them have like is anyone married. that they're, yeah, yeah. they're doing an affair on. And it's because she's keeping Doing an affair on. <laughs> Thank you. I'm she sorry. did an affair on him. <laughs> she did an affair on him. It's an active for perpetrating the I don't affair like to against. talk out of school, but I saw a hickey. I think someone's doing an affair. But I think part of the reason why the author chooses to describe their relationship as an affair is because Tilly keeps the lights off on it. Like they don't go out in public. They're having sex at her place. Well, and Logan's trying to build a relationship. He like apologizes. He's like, I never thought I'd be able to sexually please a woman until you. It kind of puts uh, that ownership on the woman for her yeah. own because it's like every other woman hasn't enjoyed sex with me, but then you enjoyed sex with me. And I was like, turns out I wasn't the problem. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like that, you know, that Twitter thing that came up where it's like, yeah. in my experience, women don't enjoy sex. And everyone's I've like, never met a heterosexual woman who's enjoyed sex. And everyone is like, epic self own. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of what that felt like. And then like Tilly's made to feel bad about it because she's had three like, lovers who have betrayed her. Yeah, but it's like three isn't that many. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Tilly. She gave her body to three men who turned out to be a bummer. I know. I mean, they were pretty big. They bummers. were really they like were one really, really hurt her. One and, like, cleared out her ATM. Yeah. And the other one is Logan. It's true. <laughs> Poor drinks Tilly. cherry Coke out of a wine glass. He does because he's classy and relatable. That is the kinkiest thing I've read in a romance novel. Just drinking straight cherry Coke out of a wine glass, out of stemware. Out of stemware. God. Super complicated. So then class comes into it because Tilly's a waitress. Um, He's a lawyer. Yeah, and the idea that their relationship is framed as an affair because it is a lot of sex and not a lot of courtship and dating. Mm -hmm. Tilly's like a man like you could never be with someone like me a waitress you're a doctor's son and a lawyer like yeah. that's something I can't touch you what does he drive it's something so silly it's like an Acura or a Toyota <laughs> Avalon you know what I mean until he's like car. <laughs> that's what she's like she's like my little Ford Fiesta it's like a different color bumper and I was like Tilly dream bigger Tilly that's what being a sexy waitress is all about dreaming bigger I don't know why we had so much insight in Logan and Tilly I think because they're set up as like the foil right so they have all the sex and none of the intimacy and ostensibly Travis and Mary have all of the intimacy and none of the sex yeah but like that's not true they just don't have a lot of either exactly they have a passel of children and I know at one point before they're actually married she's like Travis made it clear that I would be a wife in all aspects of it it's like when (laughs) yeah when what where was that in the letter I guess it was like whatever he was like you can uh, sleep on the couch in the boys room 
for now. Ugh. And she's like, oh boy, oh. he's going to want to get it in me. He wants his husbandly rights. Yeah. Yes. Husbandly rights. I mean, this book does that thing where she loses her virginity and it's amazing. So I thought you'd be into that. I mean, Even I though we don't hear nice. about it, we just see the afterwards where she's like, wow. That was great. That's making love. Can't believe I've wasted so much time not doing it. I know. And I was like, me neither, Mary. Me neither. <laughs> yeah, Mary. Why don't you show your work on that one, Mary? Yeah. Like you were in Louisiana. There's like, there's, it's really hot there. What do you do in the evenings? Like, um, also, that doesn't seem very chaste to be like, oh, Sex is great. I wish I'd been doing it this whole time before I was married. And I think that's like one of the things that this book isn't working too hard on. The idea that like chaste doesn't have a currency. I think it like understands that like good women act chastely, but like it's an act. Mm-hmm. And I think like the book acknowledges that in sort of like well, the earthy sense of the like you should enjoy a physical relationship with the person that you're with. Right. Because our heroine, she is constantly acting like she doesn't want it or she doesn't deserve it. Yeah. And is constantly getting it. And Tilly is too, to a certain extent. Yeah. Where she's like, I shouldn't want it as much as I do and I shouldn't be <laughs> hungry for it. And he's like, why not? I'm hungry for you. Yeah. And so like in that way, this felt like a. He also says he wishes he could strangle her yeah because he wants her so much yeah because that's what wanting is that's what wanting is Um, erasure erasure pure consumption jesus this book yeah yeah i just can't get over hamburger gravy yeah there's a lot of food in this book biscuits hell yeah into it biscuits into it chocolate chip cookies okay i don't know why everyone's like she made a fig pecan pie and i was like figs and pecans that's fascinating yeah pot roast Mm -hmm. it talks a lot about how good the food is in louisiana and she hasn't heard anything about montana food but it's like you just made hamburger gravy so so. apparently you heard something but it does spend a lot of time talking about etouffee Mm -hmm. shrimp ball it does some crawfish it's so interesting because she's such a sensual care like she's from these sensual surroundings Mm -hmm. and and she herself is sensual like she likes nice clothes that fit well and she likes the fabrics and she likes things to be to feel a certain way she likes her foods to be a certain way like all of it that she's working on it got that like i got the sense that she was surrounded by sensual things but i didn't get a sense that she was actually into that for herself like talked about her hairstyle being almost uncomfortable and then as she lives in montana she starts to wear like a loose low pony yeah versus her like weird maidenly bun a very sexy low pony. oh my god low pony turn them on with your low pony patty low pony <laughs> patty low pony over here trying to get it she's never wearing a bra which i think is interesting mm-hmm. but she's always wearing like sweaters that she's nipping out through uh, big sweaters big bulky sweaters big bulky sweaters and she's got like one sexy floor length baby blue nightgown that mm-hmm. her friend got for her and then there's the children i want to talk about the children yeah i think we should so we got two boys 12 and 8 and uh-huh. then a little girl who's five Five, kindergartner. And they were raised in an incredibly loving marriage and yeah. all were witness to that and have very strong opinions about what marriage should look like. Hold on. Scotty, the middle child, has very strong opinions on what marriage should look like. I feel like the keeps girl does too. Keeps encouraging his uncle to kiss his new bride and then whenever his uncle gives her a very appropriate chase kiss, is like, no, you could do better than that. So then he like tongues down on her and he's like, kitchen. that's real good, Uncle Travis. You did a real good job. Yeah. 
And then you've got the soon-to-be pubescent teen who's sullen all the time and yeah, angry. accurate. And there's this wonderful scene where he and Travis rub wrong. Like, they are just... They always are fighting in the book. From the beginning. Like, yeah. their griefs are too similar. Their personalities are too similar. They are just at cross-purposes every goddamn day. And there's this scene where, like, he's gotten suspended from school for stealing. Yeah. And he's going to take him into the barn and, like, take off his belt and, like, beat no, him. No, he's not. He says he's not going to do that. Yeah, but, like, he scares everybody into thinking that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and, like, she lets it happen. Yeah, which is insane. Same. And yeah. then they get to the barn and he has the recollection of his dad doing that to him. And he's like, that didn't change anything for me. Why would I do it to this kid? And I was like, this is an interesting dismantling of like how one inherits a particular set of child rearing behaviors and then looks at them in the heat of the moment and is like, no. Well, the kid like says, are you going to spank me? And mm-hmm. is kind of like daring him. And he's like, no, I think you're too old for that. Yeah. And then he's like, well, I guess we're going to fight it out. And he's like, I'm not going to fight a 12 year old. And the 12 year old like here I come <laughs> which is like such a 12 year old thing to do it is. it's such an angry 12 year old thing to do but I recall him thinking about his dad as an alcoholic yep who hit him their mom died early or like left left him okay but anyways he does have this moment and then he's like I won't rest until I find out who killed your parents it's like you're facing a lot of okay seems like you're gonna be looking for a while but then there's the five year old girl who's just like kindergarten adorable like her function is adorable yeah, I didn't think she was that great, but my egg timer isn't going off. No, not for these kids. They were terrible. Well, I didn't think they were cute. Well, I mean, like the function of the little girl is to be adorable. Like she has her, she breaks her arm at school and they both have to rush there and they feel so bad. And yeah. it's like a real moment of like them connecting over how bad they feel. And then like Mary feels like a mom, even though she's not a mom. And she goes through this whole thing about like, I'll never replace your mother, but I love you just as much. And I was like, oh, never- Mary, you've been here for like six weeks. I've never broken a limb at school, but it's not like the school nurse was like, well, the parents come and pick you up and then wait for the parents to come and pick you up. I feel like you always got an ambulance whenever you broke something at school. You know, I don't remember. I never broke anything at school either, but there are a couple of kids that like definitely broke their arms on the playground. I remember like an ambulance. I don't know. Maybe. But like, you know, maybe there was only one ambulance and it was already like full. It's not a big town. I just think that's crazy to call like a rancher who maybe lives like 30 minutes outside of town. Well, that's like, how it happened. And they only had the one car. So she had to get on the horse to go get him yeah. to get the truck and he's like you can ride a horse she's like seven ladies do dressage bitch <laughs> she's the worst yeah. I wish she had longer legs too. I wish she had any redeeming qualities. Yeah, I just wish she had some fucking spunk. I guess she like fights with him and like gets mad at him. That's not the same as like having a personality. No. Feeling betrayed and self-conscious. Those are like normal things that humans do versus like being like funny or like having a personality trait. I do think this book speaks to like the most important thing towards being into someone and that's proximity. Like yep. psychologically the number one thing that will make you like somebody is proximity yep so if you like someone and they don't like you just try being near them all the time yep don't stalk them but like be but near maybe them. stalk them no no just see how it goes don't endorse 
do not endorse. Uh, just answer a personal ad and fly across the country. We here at Womance fully support stalking as the only way to get someone to like you who doesn't like you. Proximity and chance. That's the way. That's the way. Proximity and chance. Yeah. This book really speaks to the actual ways that people fall in love, which is proximity and chance. It's not like you were born for each other. Like you are two perfect personalities and then you meet and there's no other. There's no such thing as fate. It's really just proximity and chance. That is the whole of it yeah what's weird to me about this book is like mail order bride is like a particular romance trope uh, specifically of historical westerns and yes to yeah see, to see it like brought forward in time to the 90s i was like oh this breaks it this is everything that's terrible about being a mail order bride Ooh. except mary can vote and like has autonomy and choices and like this is the choice that she chooses like yeah what it is an interesting idea that someone would choose this kind of relationship yeah but I mean she's 31 so what else is she gonna she's do she's basically dead <laughs> she gotta enter that Billings Gazette personal ad from Travis Thompson not a millionaire yeah and like also she feels bad at her friend who's married and has kids who's like this seems crazy Mary and like aren't you happy you have a whole life here and a house and a job oh. and she's like don't you understand this is my only chance at happiness yeah. don't you love me at all and her friend's like this seems crazy yeah and the book is very much like this is her one chance at happiness yeah but that's also crazy the book also does something interesting where it's like no one thinks our heroine is physically attractive until they taste her cooking and then suddenly she's like you know bananas hot yeah yeah which I think is interesting because it does kind of speak to like you got something yeah even if you don't have long legs you got something yeah and you have the ability to woo a rancher who you would not have described as handsome until he gave it to you. Rolled you in the hay. Rolled you in the hay. Mary, did you fall down? You got hay hay in your hair, Mary. Oh, God, those kids. God, the kids. Scotty's a weird pervert. (laughs) (laughs) Typical middle child. in on them having sex is like, that's real good at Travis. Like, just keeps after the time at the cemetery (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. When he makes them kiss. Yeah. He just keeps making them kiss. Yeah. Tongue. That's how he knows that people are happy. That's how Scotty he demands it. That's how he knows the adults in his life are managing. Vule vule, Uncle Travis. <laughs> she wants to get Franched. And then you have the sullen prepubescent. Yeah, rip her ass just like that, Uncle Travis. Lift her That's up. how mommy and daddy used to do it. Get after it, Uncle Travis. <laughs> Flick her nipple through her sweater. <laughs> I don't know if that feels good, but Daddy used to do Daddy it all the time. Daddy used to do it to Mama all the time. All the time. She seemed to really like it, Uncle Travis. I think that's what women like. Look at Mary's, look at that secret <laughs> smile upon Mary's face, Uncle Travis. That's not from the hamburger gravy, Uncle Travis. Unless <laughs> it's your that hamburger. flicking. It's your hamburger gravy. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a craving for the hamburger gravy, Uncle Travis. You know what I mean. You get it, Uncle Travis. <laughs> so at the end of the book, we discover Travis is right. His brother and sister-in-law were indeed run off the road. By a drunk driver, Logan's father, town doctor pediatrician Mm -hmm. mary goes because she's late thinks that she might be with 
child. She is. She is. So she's going to go get it confirmed with the very nice pediatrician who set the baby girl's arm. And he tries to cancel the appointment because the doctor's trying to kill himself because he's riddled with guilt over not going to the police, over running two people off the road. So she gets to the uh, doctor's office and all the lights are off. The doctor's drunk behind his desk with a full revolver placed against his temple and in walks our heroine. And she's like, doctor, I'm here for my blood test. And he's like, I told you it was canceled, but now I'm going to have to kill you too. <laughs> Who amongst us hasn't been drunk listening to records in the dark with a gun? Right. The gun's a little <laughs> weird. But- <laughs> I mean, he's listening to Ray Charles. I can't stop loving you. But so maybe like- just throw the gun under the couch or something. No, he's like, now you're in it on it. So then Travis gets the call from the receptionist that the office has been closed. And he's like, you know, your wife's appointment has been canceled. He's like, I- my wife doesn't have an appointment and she's like I'm sorry we're gonna have to reschedule Hippa. Hippa. and he rushes to town he's like I didn't even know she had a doctor's appointment why Hippa she, violation she, this is why HIPAA exists she doesn't tell me anything and then the not Tilly at the diner Sally the, the, <laughs> Sally says don't you know she pregnant and he's like what races to the doctor's office also again lights are off in the office goes <laughs> the doctor in. is in the office <laughs> listening to Ray Charles can't stop loving you drunk as a skunk holding a gun and now his wife is now a hostage and he comes in like you know the shining cowboy in armor that he is and there's a standoff he's not armed because concealing carry wasn't a thing in 1992 bonkers world of this book and conceal and carry was not a thing not a thing his gun is in his truck safe with the safety on uh not on his person god there's so much about the politics of this book that are so much of its time yeah and he thinks to himself boy if only conceal and carry were a thing thing. and he like shoves mary behind him so he's gonna take the gun the doctor confesses logan shows up with the cops the gun goes off they wrestle him to the ground nobody's hurt the doctor goes to prison bom, bom, bom. she's Jim pregnant is relieved of his guilt over his parents death and yep. grows up to become a marine just like his uncle travis good god good god and it ends thank christ sexiest part there's something kind of sexy about the fact that travis is a card-carrying chauvinist no it falls in love with mary because she takes care of him Mm -hmm. like this book has zero sex scenes Mm -hmm. besides like flicking a nipple Mm -hmm. through a sweater type stuff and it has some kissing but the eight-year-old's watching most of the time (laughs) (laughs) round third uncle travis (laughs) so like i have to resort to the isabeau standards of like what's a sexy idea in this book and I think like the idea of like proximity and chance being enough is kind of refreshing mm-hmm. in this genre I mean once again you know before we get into like sexiest part weirdest part we mm-hmm. see these like same patterns across these randomly selected mm-hmm. books which is an older woman's last chance at love mm-hmm. and she like falls in love in spite of all of her best laid plans mm-hmm. and like Mary's relationship with Travis isn't about Travis's about the kids yep a thousand percent and so she's just decided to start this project of 
having a family and ends up falling in love Mm -hmm. in spite of herself. I mean, it's just wild to me that all of these books have had that exact same theme. I think it's really weird too. And I like, I don't know what quite to do with it. Is it just a weird coincidence? Like a shocking coincidence that all four books that we randomly, super randomly selected have the same pattern? I don't think so. I like it. I think it must be something about the 90s. Like romance is so much of its time. Yeah. And so like it cannot be a coincidence, right? Like there's something that each of these books is answering. Well, they all have that same pedagogy of like falling in love with a man. Even if you have a career already. Is your ultimate calling. And this idea of like having a family is your ultimate calling. Yeah. They're like really trying to resolve the culture wars. And like none of this is about having it all. None of our heroines. With the exception of a little bit of indigo. A little bit. A little bit. But like none of these books are about having it all. None of this is about like the sacrifice it would take to be like a wife and mother and also career person. Yeah. None of this is like. It's about dichotomies and like choosing which one you're going to be. Right. It's 100% either or. In the same way that the dichotomy around sex is split around intimacy and physicality. Yeah. It's like it's one or the other, babe. Yeah. Like sometimes you're going to have sex and sometimes you're going to make love. Yeah. And never the twain shall meet. Yeah. No one has it all. Even though having it all is a lie. Totally. But like these books understand it as a lie and have chosen a side. Yeah. Yeah. But it's certainly not what I mean, like I can't imagine life being this way. No, it would be crazy. And yet. And yet. And yet. It's also fascinating to me that all of these women are still alive and still have careers. Yeah. And like one of the things that's interesting to me about Ice Wine is like I'd like to revisit intellectually, not like as like something I would want to do, but like as part of the project, I'd want to revisit the Ice Wine authors in their most recently written stuff. And to see like how much it had changed if it had at all. Yeah. Or if they're still writing for the same audience, just aged up. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really interesting question. Yeah. So sexiest part for me was the idea of like someone caring for you being enough. Mm -hmm. Because I think like a lot of times our heroines tend to be like secretly beautiful and Mm -hmm. also brilliant and brave and charming and cut and like all these things that like you'd like to imagine yourself to be, but most days you're not, you know? And like, I think the currency that newer books published in our current moment are trading on is the idea that like you are perfect you just don't realize it like everything you're doing is exactly right it's just you don't realize it whereas like these books are like you're uh you're kind of yeah you are what you are but it's gonna be good enough for somebody exactly which is an interesting idea and kind of feels like a balm after being so entrenched in like books from our current moment or even from the 70s which are kind of doing the same thing which is weird to think about like a regression Although that's a circle. Yeah. You can't really say that a man is necessary to your happiness when you're saying like, you've got it all already, baby. You just don't realize it. You know, it's just the cream pudding on top. Yeah. The drag is, is that these heroines have to be completed by their relationship with a man. Whereas like the other heroines just need to be made cognizant of the fact that they're complete without a man, like our more recent ones Mm -hmm. or by a romantic partner, I should say. Mm -hmm. But I I found that refreshing. If not totally sexy, you know, it's kind of sexy to think that like if I stood next to someone and cheered them on enough, they'd want to hit it. I think that's nice. Sexiest part for you. Uh, The actual rolling in the hay. They have this fight. She comes outside and she's like, here's the line in the sand. Oh my God. Like, love that shit. And then they go into the barn. She actually takes her heel and she drags drags a line in the dirt. And she says, that's the line, mister. 
and you just crossed it. And like, it's like, no, he didn't because you just drew it and he's on the other side. So he's like, crossed it. So like, that's not right. But why didn't she just say you crossed a line? I know. And then, (laughs) and then he's like, all right, are we done fighting? And she's like, I don't know. Are we? And he's like, come into the barn with me. And she's like, what are you going to do? And then they like make out. And I thought that was nice. I like making out in barns. Smells very fragrant. Smells like, hey, I, as has been made clear over the course of this episode, have a runny nose and being intimate in a barn is not a privilege that I've Uh, (laughs) sneezing on penises (laughs) there's also this thing where he's like i don't want her first time to be in a barn Barn. she's better than that that's a trope that continues to this day totally we're like even when we read the romance novel about the bully and they start to get intimate he's like your first time can't be in a swimming pool yeah like this idea of like you're better than any other context but in my Bed. bed also in the bully one never sweeter it's a twin bed in a fucking dorm this pool yeah, might have been better this is like you can't have anything exotic until mm-hmm. you've had the bed first the bed first yeah, yeah. you gotta have the bed you gotta you gotta like lay the foundation i guess yeah. and then like branch out you know if you exclusively had sex in pools a bed would feel pretty exotic i guess it would so you're kind of robbing them of that beautiful gift it's true again if a you bed? only me if you well, only I don't s- know about this. Exactly. So you only had sex in hay bales. Private? Like- dark? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Pillows? Excuse me. What do you do with those? What a wanton woman I am. <laughs> Up to this point, I've only been boned down on in back seats. Pools, barns, bar stools, bars. I read a novella recently where they had a waterbed, but like he hadn't put the sheets on it because he's a disgusting man, and she like has to peel her skin off of it. Like a giant. Oh my god! You did not read a novella where someone had sex on the rubbery water sat. We did. We read that book about the naked mole rat turning into a waterbed. But this was an actual water. Bed okay, above a restaurant, and he Weirder. didn't put the sheets on. <laughs> that legitimately made me gag. It takes place in Green oh. Bay in the winter. Everything about that novella was in just where sad. in the winter, Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's right, it's depressing. Think how cold that must have been so cold, but like the bed itself is like too hot, that's why she has to peel herself off of it. But that's stupid, it wouldn't be. It would because he lives above the restaurant and the heat from is the... that what the book laid out for you? Yeah, it's pretty what dire. A- piece of shit book it was a piece of shit novella not recommending it won't even name it anyway that made me think do i even know anybody with a waterbed right now and it's like i don't i knew one person growing up whose parents had a waterbed and i was 12 and i was like oh shit my brother had a waterbed i'm putting that out there what <laughs> your parents allowed that also bought him i'm pretty sure used water <laughs> But Adam pretty consistently slept on a waterbed throughout his adolescence. (laughs) I want to say it always had sheets on it. No way to know. There's no way for me to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my parents got a used waterbed. She was really 90s. I don't know anybody post 2002 who had a waterbed. Adam had one post 2002. <laughs> oh my God. And I remember like it was like a big deal. To be on it? To be on it. Like if he was gone and I had friends over, I'd be like, you guys want to sit on my brother's <laughs> waterbed? <laughs> 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 it was like, oh, just like 
greatest thought. It's the you. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine this like swinger couple gave your parents <laughs> a good deal. A good deal. <laughs> used waterbed for their adolescent son and their young, young child. Dang. <laughs> so it's like ice wines in a nutshell. Oh my God. <laughs> So that's what the 90s was like. So we're like <laughs> you and your friends not knowing how weird it was. was. It was like, wow, a water. Wa- it's, yeah, Holy it blew shit. your mind. Yeah. <sighs> Ice wine. Ice wine. Weirdest part. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, weirdest part. I mean, I talked about hamburger gravy already, which I can't shake. The fact mm-hmm. that he was like, holy shit, hamburger gravy. I've thought about it a lot. And the book doesn't like actually explain why he becomes sexually attracted to her. Mm-mm. She's just around. Yeah. Like it literally, it doesn't say anything about like, God, he thought about like her perfect breasts filling his hands or like he never noticed it before but she had a glitter in her eye or something like that like literally never it's just like he has sex with her and then he likes having sex with her which is kind of a bummer because it would have been cool if he would have like appreciated mary she does sexy part of the book i want to amend is whenever she sees the books in his house and Mm. she's like he's got fiction he's got a good fiction collection she's like all right i can sleep with this person yeah which is something we should all apply to our lives if you go to someone's house and they don't have books oh my god leave if they don't have books at all but if they don't have john waters advises the best thing we can do for literacy in the united states is like if you go to someone's house and they don't have books don't fuck them don't fuck them but also like if they have books and you'd be like i can't fuck you because of your shelf like that's okay too that's valid with what's on their shelf is unfuckable don't do it yeah yeah and if he says i just own infinite jest i've never read it still counts as owning infinite jest for sure for Sure. <laughs> and you know what to do. Glad I got one more infinite Jasper in there. <laughs> it was good. What was your weirdest part? You know, as I'm thinking about it, I think it's like the shoehorned in murder mystery. Like, yeah. That didn't, it didn't need to happen. Yeah. The stakes didn't feel high. Like everything was like bad enough. And like one of the things that I think was actually really, truly lovely about this book is like, as you said earlier, like Travis is never called white trash, but like we understand his circumstances is like pretty desperate. And like the book takes real care with the idea of like what it is to work hard but also like what it is to like work around desperation and live paycheck to paycheck and Mm -hmm. also like be traumatized by like you know the slings and arrows of living like Tilly's dealt with really carefully she has a teen pregnancy she never finishes high school she has to get her GED and like this book doesn't make a judgment about her Mm. as a person or like her womanhood because of it and I think like in a lot of ways like this hewing to like I want to go ahead and say like hillbilly elegy but like it's moving in that territory and it dealt with it with a lot of like care and deference that I thought yeah. was really good but other times I was like okay this is my weirdest part and it's like specific to Montana like they're like there's a rabid wolf feeding the cattle and I was like yeah. first of all no that's not how rabid works and it's also not how lone wolves work and then like they're like the feds the feds the feds won't do anything and then they go on like a fucking wolf hunt and they're like, like the fish and game board can't <laughs> track down this wolf and I'm like fuck you guys and then they're like gonna go kill the wolf and I'm like terrified and then they trap the wolf and give it to fish and game and I'm like they they never would have done that. They would have fucking killed that wolf and taken the slap on the wrist. Yeah, how am I supposed to believe that they like trapped a wolf, trapped a wolf, and then transported it to the fish game and wildlife? You don't board. like that's crazy. That's my weirdest yeah. part. 
they would have fucking killed that wolf and it would have been terrible it would have been a crime and nobody would have gone to prison for it yeah they were already listed on the endangered species in 1992 yeah i mean it's like a whole thing in the book is that they're like they say that the feds are very protective of their species and it's like we should all be protective of all of our species asshole yeah yeah that was my weirdest part it is like very libertarian politically that little adventure which is appropriate for montana for montana but yeah i I think you're right this book does a beautiful job of of treating everyone with a great deal of humanity like there are parts where i'm like whoa like one time it describes tilly's like going out outfit as like jeans with a classy white star leather patches on her pockets and a fringe from top to tail Mm -hmm. and a red western shirt yeah. and it's like god she's so glamorous and she's so beautiful that was kind of like okay, okay. yeah <laughs> i remember thinking that and i'm like i feel like i'm watching a scene in hope floats it literally describes the white leather star pockets as classy they really do and like this book means it and yeah. that like tilly feels good in it yeah yes i liked that i also liked that there weren't any millionaires yeah like the thing about this book is you know for all of its problems like so many other romances could learn about kindness and humaneness Mm -hmm. and humanity from a writer like debbie mccomer who clearly loves and respects all of her characters yeah as people even the doctor even the doctor who's like good at his job and made a terrible mistake because he's an alcoholic also this book for 1993 hewn so hard to alcoholism is a disease yeah and like for that time actually pretty revolutionary i mean like all this gross weird stuff happens like the scott the eight-year-old telling his uncle to tongue his wife and like in front of him and a guy drinking cherry coke out of a wine glass (laughs) and classy white leather star patches and oh you make me so mad i just want to choke you to death really i love you like there's all that at the end of the day this book is like there are no villains i think that's the thing like one of maybe everyone's a hero in this book yeah and maybe one of the first books that then doesn't suffer from romance's original sin which is actually fucking refreshing yeah because like his other paramour mm-hmm. he just stops seeing her yeah. there's no scene of confrontation and we're also never led to understand her as like a bad person no she's just a lonely waitress who likes to meet up with him once a week yeah romance or no man's <sighs> I wouldn't recommend it. There are people who, like, if you're thinking about writing a romance novel, I think it would be worthwhile to read this to kind of understand that you can tell a full and rich story without denigrating people in it. Although we just denigrated the shit out of this book. I mean, it's fun to denigrate, but like, and the care it takes, and like, that's one of the things where it's like broader strokes are really good, but it's yeah. like intimate details of its hero and heroine are fucking trash. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Like, it's okay to say those things. And like, I agree with you. I think it's like a master class in building a community i also would not recommend this to anyone reading romance but like you know the thing that's so fun about it is all of the things that we talked about and like the joy of like reading this romance is like the joy of also being in on the joke yeah and i liked that about this yeah it's not trying to impress anyone right and it understands that you understand what's going on yeah i never felt talked down to yeah sometimes there's silly extraneous details but the exposition is never like she clearly assumes that her readers know what's going on yeah enough to follow the story and gives us enough story that we can follow along I can honestly say that this is a no man's for me but I know that like this is also not a romance for me yes it's a no man's for me but it is one of those where I'm like you might like it yeah exactly like if you want something without like a lot of sex 
you want something with this particular type of mail order bride story, like maybe this is for you. Yeah. I imagine that are better versions of this, but I was charmed in spite of myself in spite of myself by the humaneness with which Debbie McComer like it's interesting but the author comes across as like a really nice person yeah totally like like a genuinely like sweet (laughs) human yeah yeah exactly it's just like kind of weird in fact it's pretty clear to me that the author's like analog is the English teacher who's checking in on them and cooking dinner once a week for Travis oh yeah and it kind of also talks about how Mary understands that that would have been her in 30 years if she hadn't found this opportunity via the personals ad and Billings. There is something kind of fadish about the fact that she... Also a Billings Gazette in a rural like Louisiana, Louisiana town. No. He says he got 15 responses. Mm-hmm. So interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, it's a no man's for me. With that, loosen your stays. And the cubes in your ice tray. <laughs> Mwah. Mwah. Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more Womance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week.